0: This is section 13 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain Section 13 Territorial Enterprise January 1864 Territorial Enterprise January 1864 Letter from Mark Twain January 10th, 1864 Politics Editors, Enterprise Well, How are you and the news and the bulletin making out for the Constitution and story? I suppose it will be voted down here. I said so to a Virginia man yesterday. Well, says he, that reminds me of a circumstance. A good old practical Dutchman once contributed liberally toward the building of a church. By and by they wanted a lightning rod for it, and they came to the Dutchman again." not a damn cent says he not a damn cent i helps to build a house for the lord and if he chose to dunder on it and knock it down he must do it at his own risk now in the constitution we have placed the capital here for several years carson has always fared well at our hands in the legislature and finally We have tacitly consented to say nothing more about the mint being built in this inconvenient locality this is the house that has been built for carson and now if she chooses to go and dunder on it and knock it down by the lord she'll have to take the consequences the fact is all our bullion is silver and we don't want the country flooded with silver coin therefore We can save the government a heavy expense, and do the territory a real kindness, by showing the authorities that we don't need a mint, and don't want one. And as to that capital, we'll move it up to story, where it belongs." So spake the Virginian. I listened as one having no taxable property, and never likely to have, as one being out of office and willing to stay out as one having no tangible right to take an interest in the Constitution, and consequently not carrying a straw, whether it carried or not. The man spoke words of wisdom, though. I am aware that the capital could have been removed last session, and from the complexion of the new territorial assembly, I suppose it can be done this year. Notwithstanding these things, though, and notwithstanding I am a free, white male citizen of Story County, I conjecture— that i have a right to my private opinion that carson is the proper place for the seat of government and it ought to remain here so long as i don't try to make capital out of that opinion nobody has a right to arrest me for being disorderly on such ground as that baggage dan will you send my baggage down here or have i got to go on borrowing clothes from pete hopkins through all eternity young gillespie young gillespie is down here in my employ on a small salary. I have got him figuring with the legislators for extra compensation for the reporters. The legislature. The territorial legislature will meet here next Tuesday at noon. The rooms used last year in the county buildings have been let by the county commissioners for the use of the two houses at $500 for the session of 40 days, payable in greenbacks. The halls are now being fitted up, and will be ready at the proper time." HOUSE WARMING. All Carson went out to warm Theodore Winter's new house in Washoe Valley on Friday evening, and had a pleasant time of it. The house and its furniture together cost fifty thousand dollars. WARREN ENGINE COMPANY. The Warren boys brought out their superb machine for practice yesterday. She threw a heavy stream entirely over the tall flagstaff in the plaza. RELIGIOUS. Religious matters are booming along in Carson. Mrs. Wiley, who is an unusually talented vocalist, has been requested to give a concert for the benefit of my old regular chronic brick church, and will probably do so shortly. The Squares Trial A jury has finally been impaneled in this murder case, or manslaughter case, or justifiable homicide, or whatever it is, and the trial is set for tomorrow. Marsh Children Concerning the Marsh Troop, R.G. Marsh sends the following note to Major Dallum of the Independent. Please insert enclosed corrected advertisement, and make such flourish and announcement as your local feeling will admit of, consistent with a clear conscience. Yours till we meet and drink. The company will appear at the Carson Theatre on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings of the present week. Billy O'Neill comes along, too. Artemis I received a letter from Artemis Ward today dated Austin, January 1. It has been sloshing around between Virginia and Carson for a while. I hope there is no impropriety in publishing extracts from a private letter if there be. I ought not to copy the following paragraph of his I arrived here yesterday morning at 2 o'clock. It is a wild untamable place but full of lion-hearted boys. I speak tonight see small bills i hope some time to see you and kettlebelly brown in new york my grandmother my sweet grandmother she thank god is too far advanced in life to be affected by your hellish wiles my aunt she might fall but didn't warren fall at bunker hill the old woman's safe and so is the old girl for that matter mark do not sir do not sir do not flatter yourself that you are the only chastely humorous writer on to the pacific slopes i shall always remember virginia as a bright spot in my existence and all others must or rather cannot be as it were i am glad that old basket-covered jug holds out i don't know that it does but i have an impression that way at least i can't make anything out of that last sentence but I wish him well and a safe journey, drunk or sober mark twain territorial enterprise january twelfth thirteenth eighteen sixty four legislative proceedings house of representatives carson eleven a m january twelfth eighteen sixty four The constitution pot boils gentlemen from the different sections of the territory visiting brethren of the legislature agree in the opinion that the constitution will carry by a very respectable vote on the nineteenth this will have its effect upon ormsby county which strangely enough considering the advantages she would derive from having the capital permanently located at carson a mint built here and the number of resident officials increased has heretofore been opposed to the establishment of a state government and speaking of the mint i have an item of news relating to that subject mr lockhart the indian agent has just received a letter from commissioner bennett in which he says he has been informed by secretary chase that no further steps will be taken toward building a mint in this region until our state representatives arrive in washington This is in consequence of efforts now being made by Mr. Connis to have the mint located at Virginia. The authorities want advice from representatives direct from the people. As I said before, the people of Ormsby will oppose the Constitution. Oh, certainly they will. They will if they are sick, or sentimental, or consumptive, or don't know their own interests, or can't see when God Almighty smiles upon them, and don't care anyhow. Now if Ormsby votes against the Constitution, let us clothe ourselves in sackcloth and put ashes on our heads, for in that hour religious liberty will be at an end here. Her next step will be to vote against her eternal salvation. However, the anti-constitutional sentiment here is growing weak in the knees. Most of the members have arrived, and the wheels of government will begin to churn at 12. M. Mark Twain Territorial Enterprise, January 1864. Legislative Proceedings. Carson City, January 13, 1864. Before the legislature begins its labors, I will just mention that the Marsh Troupe will perform in Virginia tomorrow night, Thursday, at the Opera House, of course, for the benefit of Engine Company Number 2. They played here last night. Toodles, you know." young george marsh whose theatrical costumes are ungainly enough but not funny took the part of tootles and performed it well performed it as only cultivated talent or genius or which you please or both could enable him to do it little jenny arnott uh, she with the hideous uh, i mean affected voice appeared as mrs Toodles. jenny is pretty very pretty but by the usual sign common to all those of her sex similarly gifted, I perceive she knows it. Therefore, let us not speak of it. Jenny is smart, but she knows that, too, and I grant you it is natural that she should. And behold you, when she does forget herself and make use of her own natural voice and drop her borrowed one, it is the pleasantest thing in life to see her play." The other ladies, however, I neglected to preserve a theatre bill, and I do not know what characters they personified. However, one was a handsome sailor-boy, and the other was a lovely confiding girl with auburn hair, the same being stuck after each other. Alexander was gotten up in considerable taste as a ratty old gentleman—the father of one of the stuck—the auburn one, I think beatty was one of those dear reformed pirates who comes in at the finale with a bandaged head and a broken heart and leans up against the side scenes and slobbers over his past sins and is so interesting billy o'neil was so successful in keeping the house in a roar as the limerick boy and especially as the irish schoolmaster that he was frequently driven from his own masterly gravity after the performance was over he said those girls on the front seat knew where the laugh came in didn't they i said they did i further observed that if there was any place where the laugh didn't come in those girls on the front seats didn't know it wherefore if so he had them there my head was level i think i am not transcending the limits of truth when i assert that my head was eminently level i would not flatter billy O'Neill, yet i cannot help thinking that as Barney the Baron, night before last, he was the drunkest white man that ever crossed the mountains. George Bolden, assisted by Mr. Alexander, sang, When This Cruel War Is Over, as it were, and was thrice encored. A circumstance happened to an acquaintance of mine this week, which I promised to say nothing about a young man from one of the neighboring counties took a good deal of silk dress with a moderate amount of girl in it home from the theater and on his way back to his constituents he jammed his leg into a suburban post hole and remained anchored out there in the dark until considerably after midnight he wept and he prayed and he cussed he continued to cuss he cussed himself and the board of aldermen and the county commissioners He even cussed his own relations, and more particularly his grandmother, which was innocent. It seemed a good deal mixed as to whether he was ever going to get loose or not. But the coyotes got to skirmishing around him and grabbing at his independent leg, and made him uncommon lively, whereat he put on his strength, and tugged, and cussed, and kicked at the coyotes, and cussed again, and tugged, and finally out he came. But he pulled the post-hole up by the roots in doing of it, it was funny exceedingly funny however i don't mind i slept all the same and just as well i have received that carpet sack of mine at last it contained two shirts and six empty champagne bottles also one garrot collar with a note from dan written on it in pencil accounting for the bottles under the plea that voluminous baggage maketh a man to be respected it was an airy and graceful thought and a credit to his great mind the shirts were marked respectively r m daggett and sandy baldwin from which i perceive that dan has been foraging again we organized yesterday we is the house of representatives you understand simmons will make a good speaker and besides i shall be near by to volunteer a little of my third house experience occasionally The council did not expend half an hour in getting very thoroughly and permanently organized. The regular joint committees were appointed to wait on the governor, and that body will be produced in court this morning to testify concerning the conditions of the country. N. B. The several departments of the law-making power are called bodies. The governor is one of them by law. Therefore, it is disrespectful to speak of him otherwise than as a body—a jolly, unctuous, oleaginous old body—that's it. I do not consider that we are entirely organized yet, either. You see, we are entitled to a chaplain. The organic act vouchsafes unto us the consolations of religion, payable in greenbacks at three dollars a day. We roped in the Reverend Mr. White yesterday, and gouged him out of a prayer for which, of course, we never intend to pay him we go in for ministers looking to providence in little matters of this kind. Well, there is no harm in us, and we calculate to run this institution without a chaplain. In accordance with a motion of Mr. Nightingale, we dispensed with the services of chaplain in the third house, and it is a matter of no little pride to me to observe that this aggregation of wisdom manifests a disposition, not only in this, but in many other respects, to send Jefferson's Manual and the Organic Act to the Dittonville, and take the published proceedings of that body as its parliamentary gospel, its guide to temporal glory and ultimate salvation. The House will proceed to business now in a few minutes. Mark Twain. Territorial Enterprise, January 1864. Legislative Proceedings, Carson, January fourteenth eighteen 1864. House, third day. Say— You have got a compositor up there who is too rotten particular, it seems to me. When I spell devil, in my usual frank and open manner, he puts it in D-L. Now, Lord love his conceited and accommodating soul, if I choose to use the language of the vulgar, the low-flung, and the sinful, and such as will shock the ears of the highly civilized, I don't want him to appoint himself an editorial critic.' and proceed to tone me down and save me from the consequences of my conduct—that is, unless I pay him for it, which I won't. I expect I could spell devil before that fastidious cuss was born. Mark Twain. The Speaker called the House to order at 10 a.m. Resolutions. Mr. Hayton introduced a concurrent resolution, that when the Legislative Assembly adjourned to-morrow, it be to meet again on Wednesday, 21st, at 12 M. A motion to suspend the rules was put to a vote and carried ayes fifteen noes Messrs. claggett curley gillespie gove hess hunter jones and trask mr gillespie moved to amend by making the hour one p m more skirmishing about parliamentary usage but the chair is not in fault reporter mr fisher offered an amendment to read THE HOUSE OF REPRESENTATIVES AND COUNCIL CONCURRING—Mr. Fisher got his notion from, well, say, INSPIRATION, FOR INSTANCE—REPORTER. Mr. Claggett finally got up and straightened the blasted resolution. The Speaker made a suggestion concerning the wording of the document. Half an hour more will get it all right, you know. The parliamentary skirmishing still goes on with unabated intelligence." This aggregation of wisdom can frame a concurrent resolution, but we must have time, we must have a reasonable length of time to do it in. I could have furnished all the amendments offered to this document, and all the transmogrifications it has passed through, but then you don't want a column of that kind of information. I don't consider it important. Rep. The resolution, as infinitely amended and improved, was voted upon at last and carried Eyes eighteen nose five messrs claggett gillespie gove hunter and phillips i asked the clerk what the resolution proposed to do now and he said he'd be d if he knew rep mr claggett offered a resolution that the regular daily sessions of the house commence at ten a m mr fisher moved to insert except when otherwise ordered on a division the motion was lost fourteen to six the resolution was then adopted territorial enterprise january eighteen sixty four legislative proceedings house fourth day carson january fifteenth the committee on rules for the government of the house reported yesterday the good old-fashioned and entirely proper rule that members and officers should keep their seats at adjournment until the Speaker had declared the House adjourned, and left the Chair. Well, sir, the House debated it, and voted it down. I can prove it by the Clerk's Journal. Now, considering that it was a harmless measure, and a customary one, and a mark of respect to the Chair, and considering that it is very seldom enforced, and also that it was a little disrespectful to the Chair to vote it down, the action of the House in the matter seems somewhat strained but I will interrupt you just here, if you please, and suggest to you that it is none of your business. And I want to know what you are putting in your lip about it for. I expect we can attend to our own affairs. And didn't they bullyrag that concurrent resolution yesterday? I reckon not. I do not admire the taste of the lobby members, though, in letting on as if they knew so much more about it when the House is being rent with the mortal agonies of an effort to adjourn itself over for a week without adjourning the Council at the same time. The House did not wish to adjourn the Council without being asked to do so by that body, and if the House found it very nearly impossible to word the resolution so as not to adjourn the Council aforesaid, I do not conceive that it was dignified on the part of the lobby members to express by their countenance that they had their own opinions concerning the house. But didn't the House worry that concurrent resolution for a few hours or so? You bet you. However, we had better let parliamentary usage alone for the present, until our former knowledge on the naughty subject returns to our memories, because Providence is not going to put up with this sort of thing much longer, you know. I observe there is no lightning-rod on these county buildings. Mark Twain TERRITORIAL ENTERPRISE, JANUARY, 1864, LEGISLATIVE PROCEEDINGS, HOUSE, NINTH DAY, CARSON, JANUARY, 20. Mr. Dean offered a resolution to employ a copying clerk. Mr. Gillespie offered an amendment requiring the engrossing and enrolling clerks to do this proposed officer's work. These two officers are strictly ornamental, have been under wages since the first day of the session, haven't had anything to do— And won't for two weeks yet. And now, by the eternal, they want some more useless clerical jewelry to dangle to the legislature. If the house would discharge its extra scribblers and let the chief clerk hire assistants only when he wants it, it seems to me it would be better. Rep, without considering the appointment of a new jimcrack ornament and starting his pay six weeks before he goes to work, only thirteen dollars a day. The house adjourned. Territorial Enterprise, January nineteen twenty eighteen sixty four. Letter from Mark Twain, Carson, January fourteenth. Miss Clapp's School. By authority of an invitation from Honorable William M. Gillespie, member of the House Committee on Colleges and Common Schools, I accompanied that statesman on an unofficial visit to the excellent school of Miss Clapp and Mrs. Cutler this afternoon. The air was soft and balmy, the sky was cloudless and serene, the odor of flowers floated upon the idle breeze, the glory of the sun descended like a benediction upon mountain and meadow and plain, the wind blew like the very devil, and the day was generally disagreeable. The school However, I will mention first that a charter for an educational institution to be called the Sierra Seminary was granted to Miss Clapp during the legislative session in 1861, and a bill will be introduced while the present assembly is in session, asking an appropriation of twenty thousand dollars to aid the enterprise. Such a sum of money could not be more judiciously expended, and I doubt not the bill will pass." The present school is a credit both to the teachers and the town. It now numbers about forty pupils, I should think, and is well and systematically conducted. The exercises this afternoon were of a character not likely to be unfamiliar to the free American citizen who has a fair recollection of how he used to pass his Friday afternoons in the days of his youth. The tactics have undergone some changes, but these variations are not important in former times a fellow took his place in the luminous spelling class in the full consciousness that if he spelled cat with a k or indulged in any other little orthographical eccentricities of a similar nature he would be degraded to the foot or sent to his seat whereas he keeps his place in the ranks now in such cases and his punishment is simply to bout face johnny eaves stuck to his first position to-day long after the balance of the class had rounded too, but he subsequently succumbed to the word nape, which he persisted in ravishing of its final vowel. There was nothing irregular about that. Your rightly constructed schoolboy will spell a multitude of hard words without hesitating once, and then lose his grip and misfire on the easiest one in the book. The fashion of reading selections of prose and poetry remains the same and so does the youthful manner of doing that sort of thing. Some pupils read poetry with graceful ease and correct expression, and others place the rising and falling inflection at measured intervals, as if they had learned the lesson on a seesaw. But then they go undulating through a stanza with such an air of unctuous satisfaction that it is a comfort to be around when they are at it. The boy stood dawn, the burning deck, when saul but him had fled the flames that shook the battle zrek shone round him o'er the dead that is the old-fashioned impressive style stately slow-moving and solemn it is in vogue yet among scholars of tender age it always will be ever since mrs hemans wrote that verse it has suited the pleasure of juveniles to emphasize the word him and lay atrocious stress upon that other word or whether she liked it or not and i am prepared to believe that they will continue this practice until the end of time and with the same indifference to mrs Hemond's opinions about it or anybody's else they sing in school nowadays which is an improvement upon the ancient regime and they don't catch flies and throw spitballs at the teacher as they used to do in my time which is another improvement in a general way. Neither do the boys and girls keep a sharp lookout on each other's shortcomings and report the same at headquarters, as was a custom of bygone centuries. And this reminds me of Governor Nye's last anecdote, fulminated since the delivery of his message and consequently not to be found in that document. The company were swapping old-school reminiscences. And in due season they got to talking about that extinct species of telltales that were once to be found in all minor educational establishments, and who never failed to detect and impartially denounce every infraction of the rules that occurred among their mates. The governor said that he threw a casual glance at a pretty girl on the next bench one day, and she complained to the teacher, which was entirely characteristic, you know. Says she, Mr. Jones! warren nye's looking at me whereupon without a suggestion from anybody up jumped an infamous lisping tow-headed young miscreant and says he yeffer, yeah, i see him do it i doubt if the old original boy got off that ejaculation with more gusto than the governor throws into it the compositions read today were as exactly like the compositions I used to hear read in our school, as one baby's nose is exactly like all other babies' noses. I mean, the old principal earmarks were all there—the cutting to the bone of the subject with the very first gash, without any preliminary foolishness in the way of a gorgeous introductory, the inevitable and persevering tautology. The brief, monosyllabic sentences, beginning, as a very general thing, with the pronoun I, the penchant for presenting rigid, uncompromising facts for the consideration of the hearer rather than ornamental fancies, the depending for the success of the composition upon its general merits, without tackling artificial aids to the end of it in the shape of deductions or conclusions, or claptrap climaxes albeit their absence sometimes imparts to these essays the semblance of having come to an end before they were finished of arriving at full speed at a jumping-off place and going suddenly overboard as it were leaving a sensation such as one feels when he stumbles without previous warning upon that infernal to be continued in the midst of a thrilling magazine story i know there are other styles of school compositions but these are the characteristics of the style which I have in my eye at present. I do not know why this one has particularly suggested itself to my mind, unless the literary effort of one of the boys there today left with me an unusually vivid impression. It ran something in this wise. Composition I like horses. Where we lived before we came here, we used to have a cutter and horses. We used to ride in it. I like winter i like snow i used to have a pony all to myself where i used to live before i came here once it drifted a good deal very deep and when it stopped i went out and got in it that was all there was no climax to it except the spasmodic bow which the tautological little student jerked at the school as he closed his labors two remarkably good compositions were read miss p's was much the best of these but aside from its marked literary excellence it possessed another merit which was peculiarly gratifying to my feelings just at that time because it took the conceit out of young gillespie as completely as perspiration takes the starch out of a shirt-collar in his insufferable vanity that feeble member of the house of representatives had been assuming imposing attitudes and beaming upon the pupils with an expression of benignant imbecility which was calculated to inspire them with the conviction that there was only one guest of any consequence in the house therefore it was an unspeakable relief to me to see him forced to shed his dignity concerning the composition however after detailing the countless pleasures which had fallen to her lot during the holidays the authoress finished with a proviso in substance as follows i have forgotten the precise language but i have no cheerful reminiscences of christmas it was dreary monotonous and insipid to the last degree mr gillespie called early and remained the greater part of the day you should have seen the blooming gillespie wilt when that literary bombshell fell in his camp the charm of the thing lay in the fact that that last naive sentence was the only suggestion offered in the way of accounting for the dismal character of the occasion However, to my mind, it was sufficient—entirely sufficient. Since writing the above, I have seen the architectural plans and specifications for Miss Clapp and Mrs. Cutler's proposed Sierra Seminary building. It will be a handsome two-story edifice, one hundred feet square, and will accommodate forty boarders and any number of pupils beside, who may board elsewhere. Constructed of wood, it will cost twelve thousand dollars or of stone eighteen thousand dollars miss clapp has devoted ten acres of ground to the use and benefit of the institution i sat down intending to write a dozen pages of variegated news i have about accomplished the task all except the variegated i have economized in the matter of current news of the day considerably more than i proposed to do for every item of that nature remains stored away in my mind in a very unwritten state and will afford unnecessarily ample material for another letter. It is useless material, though, I suspect, because inasmuch as I have failed to incorporate it into this, I fear me I shall not feel industrious enough to weave out of it another letter until it has become too stale to be interesting. Well, never mind. We must learn to take an absorbing delight in educational gossip nine-tenths of the revenues of the territory go into the bottomless gullet of that ravenous school fund you must bear in mind mark twain territorial enterprise january eighteen sixty four legislative proceedings house tenth day carson january twenty one an officer of the house charles carter messenger is lying at the point of death this morning he ruptured a blood vessel of the brain night before last previous to which time he was in robust health. He was a youth of great promise, and was respected and esteemed by all who knew him. He held the position of messenger of the house during the session of 1862, and his faithful attention to the duties of the office, then, was endorsed by his re-election to the present session. The chief portion of the population of Carson spent last night in feasting and dancing at the warm springs such of them as are out of bed at this hour declare the occasion to have been one of unmitigated felicity the house met at ten a m leave of absence mr calder asked and obtained leave for one day for mr claggett who was engaged in drafting a bill question of privilege mr stewart rose to a question of privilege and said the enterprise and union reporters had been moving ellen redmond's toll-bridge From its proper position on the Carson Slough to an illegal one on the Humboldt Slough. I did that. If Ellen Redman don't like it, I can move her little bridge back again, but under protest. I waded that Humboldt Slough once, and I've always had a hankering to see a bridge over it since. Mark Mr. Phillips moved to amend Mr. Gillespie's resolution by striking out that portion which puts the enrolling and engrossing clerks under the sole control of the chief clerk. Lost. A warm debate sprung up on the subject. Mr. Gillespie manfully contended for the justness and expediency of adopting his resolution, and stated several propositions which were eminently correct, to wit, that these subordinate officers ought to be under the control of the chief clerk that they were under the pay of the house, and had been for some time, and yet had nothing to do, and finally, that copying being within the scope of their duties, they ought to be put at it and afforded an opportunity of rendering an equivalent for their salaries. Messrs. Stewart, Dixon, and others were very fearful of discommoding the subordinate clerks, and very anxious to embellish the house with some more fellows calculated to swing a sinecure gracefully the chief clerk stated that mr powell the enrolling clerk had labored assiduously from the first in rendering any and all assistance asked at his hands but nobody coming forward to say how much captain murphy had done and nobody being supplied with a pile of estimates sufficient to portray how much he hadn't done it became the general impression that captain murphy had been considerably more ornamental than useful to the house of representatives but I am here only during the courtesy of the house—on my good behavior, as it were—and I am a little afraid that if I say this aggregation of wisdom elected Captain Murphy more out of regard for his military services than respect for the nasty manner in which he can sling a pen, I shall get notice to quit. Mark. Mr. Gillespie, on leave, amended his resolution by adding, provided said clerks shall not be interfered with in the discharge of their respective duties. And had the resolution not been furnished with this loophole, if it had not been thus emasculated, it would not have passed. By a scratch, it carried, though, and here are the voters' names. Ayes. Messrs. Calder, Elliot, Gillespie, Gove, Hess, Hunter, MacDonald, Nelson, Requa, Trask, Unger, Speaker. 12 knows messrs barclay curler dean dixon fisher heaton jones phillips stewart tenant ten territorial enterprise january eighteen sixty four legislative proceedings house sixteenth day carson city january twenty seven general orders the house resolved itself into committee of the whole mr fisher in the chair upon the unfinished business of the general orders and occupied the remainder of the forenoon session in the consideration of the act providing for the appointment of notaries public and defining their duties this is a most important bill and if passed will secure clearer and more comprehensible records hereafter it will leave story county twelve notaries in place of the fifteen hundred we have at present and these twelve will have to be men of solid reputation since they will have to give heavier bonds than all the fifteen hundred combined do at present. They must give bail in the sum of five thousand dollars each—sixty thousand dollars altogether. Mr. Fisher said three would be sufficient for Douglas County—he didn't want all the property there tied up in notaries' bonds. Mr. Claggett said there was scarcely a valid deed on the Humboldt records, because the certificates attached to them by ignorant notaries were worthless and he supposed property worth millions had already been jeopardized in the territory by this kind of officers he said one really splendid ignoramus out there who forwarded a bond in the sum of ten dollars had it returned with a notification that it must be increased to five hundred dollars he couldn't straddle the blind and had to give up his commission besides mr claggett said the passage of this act would oust from office some twenty-five rabid secessionists in humboldt county alone sensation if you could just see the official bonds drawn up and sent to the office of the secretary of the territory by some of these mentally deaf dumb and blind notaries you would wonder as i do what they have been and gone and done that heaven should be down on them so they never use revenue stamps they don't subscribe the oath they Well, they don't do anything that could lay them liable to an accusation of knowing it all, or even any fraction of it. Mr. Tennant said some few secesh had been appointed in Lander, but not so many as in Humboldt. They found one secesh in Lander last spring, and Acting Governor Clemens captured him. I send you a copy of the bill, as they have just finished amending it in the Committee of the Whole, and suggest that you publish it. Mark territorial enterprise january eighteen sixty four legislative proceedings carson city january twenty eighth eighteen sixty four house seventeenth day i delivered that message last night but i didn't talk loud enough people in the far end of the hall could not hear me they said louder louder occasionally but i thought that was a way they had a joke as it were i had never talked to a crowd before and knew none of the tactics of the public speaker i suppose i spoke loud enough for some houses but not for that district court room which is about seventy-five feet from floor to roof and has no ceiling i hope the people will deal as mildly with me however as i did with the public officers in the annual message some folks heard the entire document though there is some comfort in that hon mr claggett speaker simmons of the inferior house hon hal clayton Speaker of the Third House, Judge Hayden, Dr. Alban, and others whose opinions are entitled to wait, said they would travel several miles to hear that message again. It affords me a good deal of satisfaction to mention it. It serves to show that if the audience could have heard me distinctly, they would have appreciated the wisdom thus conferred upon them. They seemed to appreciate what they did hear, though, pretty thoroughly After the first quarter of an hour I ceased to whisper, and became audible. One of these days, when I get time, I will correct, amend, and publish the message, in accordance with a resolution of the third house ordering three hundred thousand copies in the various languages spoken at the present day. P.S. Sandy Baldwin and Theodore Winters heard that message, anyhow, and by thunder they appreciated it, too. They have sent a hundred dollars apiece to San Francisco this morning to purchase a watch-chain for his excellency governor twain i guess that is a pretty good result for an incipient oratorical slouch like me isn't it i don't know that anybody tendered the other governor a testimonial of any kind mark twain end of section thirteen